This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart, and I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode features Brie Rue. Brie makes ceramic sculptures that are influenced by her own physicality and touch, and the idea of the center as an important source of focus, reflection, and power. She primarily uses only her hands to work massive amounts of clay into textured abstractions that remind me of lichen on the surface of a rock, or like craters left behind after an explosion. Other works include performance and video documentation, and directly relate to the human form. Bree and I recorded the following conversation at her studio in the Sunset Park section of Brooklyn. This sort of keeps us on. Um, Just yeah. It uh, uh, keeps me like on pace. Uh, yeah. But that's pretty much it. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. So, like coming in here, how long have you been in the studio? For four and a half years. Four and a half years. And it looks it, too. It's very, very lived in, I think. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it feels, as soon as I walked in, it felt, it felt organized in a, in a good way. Oh, good. Not, not in like <laughs> a type A, like everything needs its little place, but it has like a nice flow to it where you're, I can tell where you're working. You have this little desk area. Yeah. You have two kilns in here, which I've never seen before. Is never that, seen kilns? Well, no, I've never seen kilns in someone's own studio. I've seen like kilns at um like a ceramic workshop like a workshop or some sort of community space but to have kilns in your own they're essential yeah especially i mean you can't transport dry you can't transport bone dry ceramics it's just way too fragile right and you've got nice light and i love that you have plants in here that's always refreshing um i try and have plants in my studio and they always die i don't like take good enough care of them so i'm always psyched to see uh, green stuff, um, but it feels good in here. Thanks. It feels like a like a healthy place to work. Um, what's it was, like a? It was feeling really bad. Yeah. A year ago, or maybe six months ago, I was kind of in a slump, and I said to my friend, "I think it's my studio. It just doesn't feel good anymore." And she said, "Well, Brie, I've been in your studio. There's stuff everywhere, jammed into all the nooks and crannies, mm-hmm. and." So I I got back from a trip and I just did this massive purge. Mm-hmm. I threw out a bunch of art. I consolidated your own art. Everyth- oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I throw a lot out. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff that's like a year old that I I realize didn't work or wasn't uh-huh. good. Um, Is this setup sort of an ideal setup for you in terms of the amount of space you have to work or how you have? It looks like you have like these two walls dedicated for showing maybe a close, a finished or close to finished piece or like being with it while it's finished. Yeah. I mean, right Uh now I have two pieces up that are really in question. Mm -hmm. The colorful piece there on the right and then the, the goldish, the one with the gold in it Mm -hmm. that are super new. And so I'm trying to figure out what's going on in those. And then the other two are finished. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm ready to take them down and make room for yeah. new pieces. If you could have more space, would you want more space? Definitely. I mean, that's sort of a no-brainer, right? right? We all want a little bit more space. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I have like half of the room is dedicated to stuff that's drying on the floor. Uh-huh. And do you work... So when, you, when you're 
molding this stuff, if that's even the right term, or working it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're using your hands quite a bit. This is all clay. It's all clay. It's all and clay. I always, I don't use any tools, so I'm making the pieces on the ground mm -hmm. uh, on top of the, the clay most of the time. Sometimes I make things against the wall. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so I leave it on the ground. The floor is the primary work surface for you, right. would you say? Okay. Right. Yeah, so it does get tricky in here when I'm making a few pieces at a time. There's, there's no floor space. And then with my new dog, I'm like trying to train her not to step on How it. How new is the dog? Only a, two months. Oh, what's, it's a she? It's, or it's a, a girl, he? yeah. What, what's her name? Gaia. Hi, Gaia. She seems pretty... Oh, yeah, she's happy over there. She she's seems pretty happy heater. and asleep by the heater, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but I step on stuff. I break, mm -hmm. I mean, that's how most of the breaks happen. <laughs> and are these works that, you know, these ones look pretty resolved. Oh, well, that's nice. Um, are they for something, or are they just works that you're working on? And um, I guess I'm curious what you're, what, what you're working on right now. Oh, sure. Well, this uh, black piece is, I showed at Rachel Uffner's, in a group show a few months ago. Yeah, that was recent. It was a three-person show, right? Right. Yeah. And I really, really like that piece. And it, it's the it's a really new gesture for me to have the the sculpture coming out so far from the wall and really kind of um, intervening on the viewer's mm -hmm. space. Uh, so I'm trying to keep that in mind as I move forward. And then the piece with the gold circles, that's super unresolved. And I'm, I'm happy with the circles but I, and the gold, but I don't, I'm not sure about the rest. The glaze, mm -hmm. the teal glaze is really bothering me. I think it's a little unnecessary. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw your work, and I think it was a show you did at Nicole Glagsbrun's space. Right. With a handful of years ago. Right. And that work was glazed if i'm remembering correctly um with it was it in the three-person show with oscar murillo um, my brain is terrible at remembering the specifics but i i feel like the first time i saw your work i think it was there and i think there was colored glaze on it and i and i wanted to bring it up because i feel like the stuff i've seen more recently of yours is has is is unglazed yeah or at I'm, least the stuff that i was sort of looking around on online last online. night before yeah yeah i'm I feel like I'm moving more into a neutral, like raw kind of bone-like quality, like mm -hmm. especially with that white piece there. Mm -hmm. Is that the natural color of the clay? It's partly. It has some kind of uh, blacks added to kind of carve, I guess, to just give it more shape or mm -hmm. kind of more uh, definition. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, generally it's like an off-white, yellowish color. Mm -hmm. Depends on the clay. But I, w I worked with porcelain recently and didn't glaze it, and that has a really kind of skin-like quality where it's it seems almost slightly transparent mm -hmm. on the surface, like there's a depth to the surface. And the clay, are you getting... You order this clay, this, you know, I know some... People that work with clay, they're very, and maybe these are more people that I know in rural areas, but they like farm their own clay. I this know. is, this yeah. is not 
that, is it? I wish it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So where not. do you get your clay? I mean, you use a lot of clay. I use a lot of, I use a um, ceramic supply in New Jersey. Okay. They drop it off. It's in big super bricks. super easy. Yeah. In 50 pound boxes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I get, they have a minimum like $300 for delivery and that's usually 10 boxes of clay. So that's 500 is that 500 pounds? 10 boxes times 50. Yeah, that's 500 Sounds pounds. Sounds about right. So I get that every few weeks. Okay. <laughs> and you blaze through it. I do, but also because I'm destroying stuff. Right. How, would you say, um, like in that frame of def- destroying stuff, do you need to make like a bunch of stuff in order to get one or two keepers out of it and the rest gets destroyed? Or, um, or is it just destroyed? You, it, it, comes apart along the way and that's just part of it oh uh like naturally that yeah. no it's not that so much it's well for instance I made a body of work over the summer that I kind of had to try something out in it and after making five pieces it just didn't work mm-hmm. and I threw them all out okay yeah and there's a certain amount I mean these works are very physical and I and I saw images of you on the ground, like you were saying, you work on the floor. So the, this work is very physical. Um, and there's a, uh, I saw that there was like a, a video still on your site. Is, is there a performance aspect to some of this stuff that you're doing? Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, there's, um, in my mind, I have a script in a sense that gives me direction that tells me how to go about making this form so I I know I have a form in mind in a sense Mm -hmm. and then I try to devise a way of making it that like makes that form inherent to the process right um so for instance that piece um was made by starting with my body weight in clay and then I I wanted to make this kind of vessel-shaped drawing. Yeah. And so I decided I'm going to push the clay in in two directions, and one side will be the left side of the vessel, and the right side will be the right side. And then, but what happened in the moment of making it was that I realized these, like, tail ends um, could kind of affect one another. That And so that was the surprise. That was the unscripted part. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that performative part is kind of crucial to for me allowing the like letting the body be in control instead of the mind sure sure um and that's that actually reminds me of what I wanted to tell you about the Anderson Ranch Art Center um I'm included in a big group show there that's uh all the residents that were together a year ago Mm -hmm. and I submitted a video piece. It was shot from above, so it's an aerial uh, video. Of you working on Of on me the floor. working on the floor. So like a bird's eye view. A bird's eye view. Uh-huh. And the, the performance starts with um, me without clothing on, uh, do, making a painting on my back. Okay. Um, like yourself, you're, yeah, you're like painting, doing this. Yeah, I'm using mirrors, but I okay. like paint this kind of, X shape, which in my mind was kind of like a butterfly. Mm -hmm. And then I proceed to make that piece with the clay. Okay. And so from the bird's eye view, you're seeing 
only my backside. Is it yeah, that that's, form? That's this is this. Uh, okay, there's a picture. A it's funny. Like I saw the drawing next to it, and that screenshot I saw the shape, but I didn't even see your body in there until you started talking about it and then we pointed it out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what I like. <laughs> You're about hidden in that. You can't even see yourself. That's what I like about it yeah. is that the clay has such a close relationship to the skin and mm -hmm. must like this kind of musculature. Mm -hmm. Um, that I, th I think that that becomes formally really interesting, um, for a video piece. Sure. And so, so this is the video that I sent them. Okay. And, um, I just got word last night that the director of the gallery and the director of the Anderson Ranch um, are, were considering not allowing it to be exhibited. Why? Because of the nudity? Because of the nudity. Get out. And you know, and it's because there's this clause or this um, agreement that they have uh, with the public, the statement that says we won't have any nudity in and around our campus in artwork um, to, you know, protect your children. Jeez. So that ch children won't, they promise that children won't be exposed to nudity. And apparently the opening of the exhibition is happening at the same time as the open house when there's going to be a lot of people kind Families, of flooding through younger there. Younger people. Okay. And they said, we can't even put a disclaimer sign on the gallery because people are literally going to be running through. And I was speaking on the phone with the, the sculpture director about this, who also runs the gallery. And I said, well, I just want to know that you as an artist realize that this is censorship. Yeah. And he said, well, it's not when it comes to children. And I thought, well, you know what? It's actually a parent's responsibility to, to be aware of the environment that they're exposing their children to. So if you are about to I go would agree. into an exhibition, mm -hmm. you should probably check it out before you let your kid in there, right? Yeah. I mean, that's parenting 101. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like and there also, are things just, in the world. It's just like denying humanity too at a certain point. I mean, we're all we all have these parts underneath our clothes. I know your kids see themselves naked. They probably, if they're, I mean, I mean, if they're young, they've seen their parents yeah, naked. I mean, That's what I said. I said I guarantee you that yeah. like a child has already seen a naked adult's backside, and this yeah. is probably going to be more fun for them than, like, offensive. Yeah, I think that's, that's like, that's, like, a fear-based decision on the institution's part I know, or something. Being I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And maybe it's connected to that whole sort of liability culture that we live in now. True. Um, but that's ridiculous so what are they going to do or did they take it out or did you they said they can't show it so that's that and they he said would you like to show something else and I said well at this point I'm more interested in the issue of being you know removed from the show mm -hmm. than I am in like showing something mm -hmm. that you're going to be okay with right God. What's your next move? Have you talked to some of the other artists? Have you communicated with them? Yes. Are, are, you, are you like organizing? No, no. So I'm, <laughs> I've been communicating with a friend of mine who is a fellow resident. He's, he works there now. And I think I'm going to ask him to, what I'd ideally really like is, so this uh, video is meant to be shown on a monitor that's on the floor. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and that's it. It's just up. the video. There's not, is the actual piece there too? No. So it's just the video. It's okay. just the video. Okay. No sound. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it acts like a sculpture though and that it's on the floor right face up right um and i think viewers are looking down on it exactly Mm -hmm. so it's like you know uh replicating that bird's Mm -hmm. eye view and i want him to put maybe a sign like have the video playing and put like a piece of paper on it um something subtle that Mm -hmm. just indicates that you you're not supposed to see it or or that something's been hidden right um uh, yeah, that's a trick, and I mean, that's it's got to be completely fucking frustrating. It's annoying because yeah. I was so excited. It's really new. Yeah, I have want... you ever have you ever made a uh, a video like that before? No, this Where is you, the first like, nudity. F- yeah, I mean that that takes huge courage. You think? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. I would think. I was that kid in college though that like, like ran around naked, did a lot of nudity deal. artwork. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess from where I sit, yeah, like. Putting yourself out there. I think putting art on the wall is a courageous act. Yeah. Um, and then it gets even, there's even more layers of courage and strength when you're that revealing or the artist is that revealing. So I guess that's where I'm sort of, I want to acknowledge that. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> but goddamn to like be told that you can't show up for those reasons. That's devastating. That's for me sitting here hearing you talk about it is devastating. So. Yeah. And that they can't even acknowledge that that's unethical. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe this is a good point to segue towards um, some of the content of your work, the the themes in it. And for me as a viewer, when I see your stuff, it's the physicality of it, like I talked about, the fact that you're leaving your touch, your hand touch on these. Um, there's there's like a figurative element in some of your pieces. Right. Uh, I mean, especially with the video piece that you're showing me is still from here. Your your figure is in it, but um, but this is also the shape is yeah. Also it's like, like it's like sort of arms and legs uh, spread out. I know that weight is important mm-hmm. and your own body weight right. as it relates to the weight of the piece that you're making, and you reference that in some of the titles of your pieces. Right. This, this thing on the front of your online portfolio that I guess um, was a project called Spreading Outward from the Center. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's like a, um, uh, some text that's almost, that almost acts like instructions mm-hmm. or a list of considerations for you while you're working on it. Right. And I'm wondering if, if you could sort of just talk about what, like your angle for, for these ideas and why they're important to you and, and what you hope viewers might take from them. Right. Um, so. That was a lot. I'm sorry. To yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, what order yeah. should I answer that? Um, the reason I started working with my body weight in clay was uh, when I was in school, I'd been making some vessels uh, that were of a modest size. And I, I thought, you know, I've really, I was in a p- time and place emotionally that where mm-hmm. it made sense to kind of integrate my own physical experiences or my own kind of, you know, the way that, like, the world pushes back on Mm -hmm. us or these kind of confrontations and conflicts that we have with other people and with with sites and with um, systems. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that the clay or the material that I was working with, I wanted to have kind of a I wanted to record that confrontation in some way and I realized that clay was something that could both push back and document at the same time yeah I like that word record 
these moves, like your physical gestures are recorded in the clay. Right. That's well said. Uh, so that's what I, yeah. So then I started by kind of creating these challenges. Um, one, the first one was called the big push where I pushed my body weight from the floor up the wall to as high as I could reach. Um, and so that began like a series of work that was really about this kind of physical endurance and what happens when the body takes over and what is this kind of struggle or uh, need to gain control maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that kind of moved forward into ideas related to just kind of, I guess, spiritually like trying to understand my role in the world or Mm -hmm. understand my relationship to the things in our world. Mm -hmm. And so it it takes on, you know, kind of a personal philosophy or um, that what's embedded in all art is kind of everyone's um, struggle to make sense of their own voices and their own like place in Mm -hmm. society as a student and as a, maybe as a teacher or um, a leader. Mm-hmm. And or just a participant in a group of people. Right, yeah. Be that the, your family or your, the block you live on or then, you know, going out with the neighborhood, the city, the state. Right. For sure. Right. And so I think that that's, as I, you know, can, as I look back on maybe a few years worth of work, I see how I was trying to think through the way that I relate to other people, other bodies, um, through these pieces where you know, one, they usually have titles that indicate loosely what I was thinking about. Like one was called Circle Game. It was Mm -hmm. like named after um, Joni Mitchell, a Joni Mitchell song. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was push uh, colored clay in a circle until the end becomes the beginning and the color desaturates. So it's making a full circle, sure. and like arriving back where you started. The circle seems like an important form it, it in just, your work. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it pops up all the time frequently. And the, and there's also a strong center point in your work. I noticed yeah. not all of it, but a lot of it, there's like a center out component. Yeah. Um, anyways, and that relates to this idea of this, like kind of personal philosophy about like being centered, getting to the center opening, from the center, mm-hmm. um, a kind of root, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's sort of that one there feels like uh, some root system for me, the way it's spreading. I mean, there's also a, a, like the natural world uh, I think about when I'm looking at your work, oh, whether good. it's whether it's like lichen or is that the right way to say it? The way like yeah, some sort of... that's how I say it. <laughs> uh, you know, mosses or mushrooms can grow or um, um, barnacles even, um, mm-hmm. tree stumps. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that you see that. I, I see like a lot of like maybe topographical, like Mm -hmm. terrain, um, or even just texturally, like it's like sand or it's like the desert after rain and like the crust Mm -hmm. of the earth is, or the the surface of the earth is crusty. Yeah. You know, (laughs) for sure. Even that one there. I mean, it suggests a landscape. It's a long horizontal. Right. Um, and the contour of it, you could sort of, 
it's lazy of me, but yeah, I could say that it's some sort of ridge in a natural No, I was setting. totally thinking yeah. about the horizon line. Okay. I had just, um, I just recently traveled around New Mexico and Arizona, mm-hmm. and I'm also reading a book about uranium mining. And when I glazed that, pe- or when I opened the kiln and saw that, the way the glaze had behaved on that piece, and it has this kind of like neon yellow specks in it that Mm -hmm. definitely looks like the color of uranium. Mm -hmm. And then this kind of teal, like watery color. I thought it's, I'm I'm interested in that kind of what raw materials can do and um, the kind of alchemy that happens in glazes. Are you... Are you able to control your glazing? Like I'm, I'm, I'm uninformed when it comes to glazing ceramics, but I, I feel like this, this alchemy that takes place once they go into the into the kiln, some it changes and you can't see it happening. Yeah. And maybe, maybe can can you control it? Do you sort of know how much to put on in certain yeah. areas, and, and you sort of know what it's going to be like in you the end? Do. Or is it is it is there a surprise that happens? Well, there are a few ways of working. If you use commercial glazes, it's totally predictable, mm-hmm. and that's what I use because I don't know any other way. Of, well, I mean, and I'll say uh, this other piece is an experimental way of working with glazes, and that. I'm using the raw materials that go into mixing a glaze, but I'm using them just dusted on the surface. Mm-hmm. And then they go... Sparingly. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they like melt and affect one another. Right. And those gold halo f- shapes within that landscape piece, that's not a glaze, is no. it? That is that painted after it's been dried? Or how it's are you gold getting... leafed. It's gold leafed. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's very rich. And it's a nice contrast to the glaze, I think. Thanks. Um, we're suddenly talking about process stuff, and um, yeah, uh, but the process is is interesting. And no, I think it's good. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, these these. I mean, I'm not. I've, I've not handled them, but they they seem well engineered, and I can see how. And this is this is we're we're talking about some practical stuff now yeah. in, in terms of how you transport these, how you install them, um, how you make them so that they can. Um, last longer than a week mm-hmm. um, and there's I, I see and I've seen in your other work you all you build these in segments mm-hmm. um, or I cut them into segments oh you cut them into so do you make it is it is it one big thing and then you cut it down right oh okay yeah and then um, and so I'm working on a new kind of approach where I'm using that line that cut line mm-hmm. or the knife uh, line as a w- a kind of drawing tool, so yeah. that's kind of where those circles came from. Yeah, even in this this rooted one, I like the the way it's divided. The way it's divided, I think that's it's a nice touch in there. And the other thing that uh, I, I I imagine you're considering is the size of your kilns. You sort of are restricted to how big you can make each piece because you have to fit it in those. True. Is that annoying, or do you do you embrace that? I, that restriction? I do. I mean, the, instric- the restriction, there's another restriction, which is that clay, when it's flat um, um, and takes up a large surface area, there's only so big you can go mm-hmm. when it's flush to the ground. Right. It, because it needs to shrink. Um, it needs to, when it shrinks, it like, it wants to break up right, actually because right, right. it's 
the way that I'm working, certainly the pieces don't dry evenly um, or even shrink in like yeah. the same direction. Yeah, you're battling physics at that point. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's physics. But, but additionally, I embrace that I, I really want to be, because the kiln and the clay is saying these sections can only be so big, I'm also, I'm really grateful to that actually because I want to be able to move my work around and install everything. Right, right. And I'm not in a place where I can afford to have someone come and help me. Right. So it's just, it's actually serves my own, like, my my ability to be self-sufficient. Yeah, it sounds like you're working within the scale of yourself right now. Exactly. Like literally, literally <laughs> with the, like working within your body weight, but also like your space and right. your kilns. I mean, that makes sense to me. Right. Um, what about your psychology while you're in here in studio when you're working on this stuff? Are you focusing on the task at hand or does your mind wander onto other things? Like what's going on in your head? Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's kind of like, what do you think about when you're working out? Like, like exercising? Yeah. Um, that's actually like one of my times where I get some of my best ideas. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a runner. I run. Okay. And it's, it's like, it's part for alone time. It's part for health reasons. It's part for midlife crisis stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Running away from the reaper. Um, <laughs> But all the like one a nice side effect, and actually I like I'll put, now put that on top of that list of reasons why I do it, is that my brain is able to like think in a different way than when I'm in studio. Yeah, and and maybe that distance from my work or what I'm working on is good. But I get ideas, I resolve questions I have about the work, I r resolve, or I maybe think of new ways for. Um, um, like how to talk to a friend or a colleague or a student about this thing that I haven't figured, like been able to uh, like find an approach in or right. an avenue in. Um, so sorry, you, I just started talking about myself. Your mind wanders into a creative space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, but but. Um, I guess I think more. What do you think about when you exercise? Well, <laughs> I mean, I usually just zone out. Yeah. Um, or I'm, you know, feeling really. I haven't. <laughs> feel really self-conscious about not being able to like keep pace with everyone else uh -huh. um so it doesn't i don't feel any boost in confidence <laughs> when i work out but um, i don't i don't do group stuff i'm out <laughs> out in the dark at, at nighttime so i'm sort of hidden <laughs> right but i think when i'm making the pieces i'm i'm kind of thinking about my my state of happiness my state of sadness like it's mm -hmm. very emotional i think yeah for sure and i you know i might sense some of that looking at these well i mean these these do they're evocative they um present a feeling for me as a viewer and, mm. and some of those feelings are sort of in between um being happy or being sad um uh, uh, maybe asking questions about yeah. about what i'm feeling um so mm -hmm. maybe i get that good um another thing i guess i i, I wanted to like involve with this psychology of working in here and, and while you're making this stuff is the tactility of the clay when you're working and yeah. 
you know, it feels like a very human instinct to like hold something that's squishy and just do this. Right. Um, we've done that when we were a kid, they sell like putties in like drugstores for stress relief, you know, like right. doing this. And I imagine there's a component of that sort of feeling while you're working on Definitely. here. Um, is that important to you? That sort of like very one-to-one feeling of the stuff in your hands and going through your fingers and working Yeah, it? I think so. I mean, I think that I've always worked with materials and I've, or with, in a sculptural way. And I really enjoy figuring out what a material's potential is. Mm -hmm. Even the work that I've done, artist assisting artists, it's, it's really, I just really understand and love learning about something's physical properties and its abilities. And so that's kind of, that it exercises that kind of curiosity and that mm. like connection to things and 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 making things. I mean, I think that artists have s such a lucky we're so lucky to like be in the world and engage with materials in the way that we do because not everyone gets to have I mean, most people are like typing on, you know, laptops and yeah. They're doing um, administrative work of some sort. Yeah, or, I mean, the closest you get to, like, really using your hands is, like, washing dishes or something. I right. don't know. It's right, like, right, right, right. Or, or at least using your hands and feeling, like, paying attention to what you're actually feeling. Feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and then there is this, like, re a release of energy, like that nice, exhausted feeling that mm -hmm. you have after going for a run. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you're probably tired at the end of a day working in here. Well, I'm tired after making a piece. It usually mm -hmm. takes 10 minutes, and it's like a really big exertion of energy. Mm -hmm. And in the summer especially, it's, you know, it get really overheated. and mm -hmm. <laughs> Right, right. I guess we're going back into the physics, <laughs> you know, body temperature and stuff. Right. Um, you grew up in California. Am I right? Yeah. Southern where did you grow up? Southern California. Yeah. I grew up in the Northeast in New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Yeah. 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 What, where, what was it like growing up? Where, like LA or? Um, no, not so, LA. No? Orange County. Okay. Um, was it a good time growing up in Orange County when you were a kid? No, but <laughs> my, my parents were always really supportive of, uh -huh. of me wanting to make art. And uh -huh. so I always had access to art classes sure. and, and everything. So supportive of parents that's that's great yeah it's um, it's amazing and so i've always thought of myself as an artist from from when, childhood when very young were you like the like make like dr making drawings when you're a kid or, oh yeah yeah so you've been creative for since you're a kid yeah and it sounds like your parents encouraged that yeah they 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 loved mm. it and i went to an art high school okay and you know my mom introduced me to georgia o'keefe's calendar ah. <laughs> when it, i was a kid yeah, i was gonna ask you like um are there like specific early influences uh art or non-art related that you could cite like you know george o'keefe you mentioned i didn't think of her work but now that you mentioned it like there's something maybe yeah i love something yeah, kind of, of her. floral kind of cent centralized yeah 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 um, like s suggestive of human right? anatomy and yeah, parts yeah. for sure that's true yeah. i didn't think about that part um, yeah, I mean, she, she plays with, I mean, she uses bone imagery a lot and not that you're specifically, but making, that's but why this was, feels like bone to me. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking precisely so is George that I saw a big show of hers this summer and I, 
Awesome. I love those draw those paintings she makes. But mm-hmm. yeah, Georgia O'Keeffe flowers. Like I've been I painted flowers all the time when I was a kid. I used flowers mm-hmm. to paint with. When did you get into clay? Uh well I that's another thing and as a child I I attended these teen uh clay classes that were just like open like at the um, community workshop. center or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, at the art center. And I'd go with my best friend and we'd make incense holders and like we made busts of each other. Mm-hmm. Um so I I am have all, I've been familiar with clay for a while, but mm-hmm. I didn't kind of come back to it until maybe six or seven years ago. Okay. And what, and you're, you're starting to say you're like flowers and making paintings of flowers. Were you make, were you like a, like a painter before you returned to clay? Yeah, Yeah? I was, I, well, I was doing them simultaneously, but for sure started as a painting Mm -hmm. and drawing like all kids, I guess. Right. And then you went to school to study art formally, like in college, undergraduate and graduate school. Yes. I went to NYU. Okay. And then I went to Columbia. Is that when you sort of got more serious about clay? Maybe put painting down? I guess I'm curious about when you committed to this way of working. In high school, I was, we were taking a lot of different classes, painting, sculpture. And in undergrad... You know how you do that foundations year? Mm-hmm. Um, I really love sculpture. Mm-hmm. So I've always been making sculpture. The right. me- medium keeps changing, or the media keeps changing. Mm-hmm. But um, the third dimension. I'm also a good painter. So, I mean, a good, like, representational painter. Sure, sure. If I had to be. Mm-hmm. But um, you, you gravitate towards the third dimension. I do. Something that you can walk around. That you can hold yeah. and, like, yeah, have yeah. a kind of physical relationship to. Sure. And even, even like, I've seen your work installed on walls. Like, this one's very overtly coming off the wall. Mm-hmm. This one is more of a relief. It, it is rippling a little bit off the wall. But yeah. there's, um, you do, and I've also seen you um, um, be thoughtful about the installation of your work mm-hmm. um, and use the corner of, of a gallery space or wherever you're showing this stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm I'm bringing up like the fact that your stuff is often utilizing a, a, a wall, right? Because um, a lot of p- people just assume that sculpture doesn't belong on the wall. It's like on the floor, but your stuff it's a kind of straddles all those between. spaces. Yeah. yeah, it's well, it it's I mean I think that our impulse I guess that impulse comes from just how we treat domestic space in a sense, mm-hmm. like that we can't put sculptures in the middle of the room so we like put them on a a shelf right right they're in the way if they're on the floor (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. and I like things on the wall because I get to like I guess just stare at them sure I don't know if what the I mean I I realize that they become paintings in a sense or they become images when Mm -hmm. they're on the wall but and I like I like that relationship because there's this um, the pieces from transform when yeah. they go from the floor to the wall, and that's yeah. almost like as magical as opening the kiln and seeing yeah. your glaze do yeah. something. And they great. present well. You know that your works that are installed on the wall have um, a really elegant contour mm. or f- shape, and when that's on a wall, a white wall, it really 
points that out. So I think it's effective. Yeah. Oh, that's um, nice. We got off subject. We we're starting to talk about your education stuff. Oh, my education. Um, so NYU for undergraduate. Right. Um, and then graduate school. At Columbia. Columbia. So New York, New York. I know. I've, well, <laughs> 16 years. 16 years. <laughs> Was there a big takeaway um, lesson from either one of those settings? Like, I'm always curious what what people like what they hold on to from their formal art training um yeah after, after the fact yeah i where did you go to undergrad i went to the rhode island school of design yeah and i don't so, i didn't go to graduate school so i don't have anything in that world to offer but we had a similar then um mm -hmm. kind of formal training mm -hmm. because nyu was very much about like skill-based um, and that very heavy foundation year yeah, yeah. extremely heavy and mm -hmm. i I feel like I couldn't be an artist without knowing how to make things. Right. Um, and that's, I think, really important for kids to I would learn, agree. for artists to I learn. I agree. Um, so that was crucial. Cause Just having that basic knowledge and skill set. Oh, yeah, because then I went on to Drawing live in like, loft spaces, mm -hmm. and I had to build walls, and I had to I built my own bed frame. And it's just very practical, and like you feel like you are in control yeah. of... The, your space mm -hmm. um and then f as and then for grad school I think I got the best kind of feedback or like conceptual um dialogue um around my work that that really helped me kind of figure out what and why I was doing right right and that sort of confidence that comes from those critique settings where um yeah you're not always going to get positive feedback you'll no. get cool feedback but I find in those group critiques, um, I come out stronger at the end of them. And with that strength comes a certain type of confidence that keeps me returning to it. So yeah. um, I hear you on that. What about um, specific artists from when you were a student? Is there any, is anything stand out on, on, in those areas? Um, well, in my foundation sculpture class, our teacher took us to see Sarah, Sarah Z's show in Chelsea mm -hmm. and that was my first year in New York and I was just totally inspired great um and I think about how she uses space and how she responds to the spe specificity of architecture um and I went on to work for her and I still work for her oh, okay so that's great so it's been that's been one of the most rewarding is that um, your day job? Job, day job, okay. yeah. That's been the best. That's amazing. And how did you how did you get uh, the uh, studio assistant gig with her? I. It wasn't from that visit to see her show. When no, you were of course. <laughs> you didn't I, like track her down and be like, "Hey, I loved your thing. Can I come work for you?" I'm sure she gets that all the time. <laughs> I did an apprenticeship at the fabric workshop uh -huh. in Philly, and she was in a group show at the time. The apprentices were called on to help install. And her manager, who managed the install, was like, oh, this girl is like, she really gets it. Cool. And so then I got hired. Hey, that's great. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I want to talk about, like, gigs that s helps support the studio practice deeper into the conversation. So maybe we'll get back to that. But, um, um, you know, we're talking about, uh, so you mentioned Sarah Z. Uh, is there any other sort of breakthrough moments that you had while you were a student and I guess I asked because I think a number of students listen to this yeah and 
I think it's of value to hear other artists um, like MVP situations or moments or like this is this is was really helpful in, in the development of me as a person or, or my work and it happened in this setting. Is there anything else like that? Yeah. And if you want to say no, that's fine. No, I mean, I think there were there were a bunch. It's just a question of remembering them. I remember an undergrad... Sue DeBeer was a was teaching like a project class and I ended up making all this work about like number of like female suicides that were are committed by like wives of artists of male artists or something like that and so I was like made a piece about suicide and and that and I got so much positive feedback from Mm -hmm. that class and from Sue like who would you know, understandably be really enthusiastic about that kind mm-hmm. of work. Um, was that a risk making a piece like that or making? Oh for yeah. You? Oh my God. Yeah. I like, I made this bodysuit that had the names of these women embroidered on it and red paint and glitter, like on the wrists. Mm-hmm. And I came out into the class wearing this suit mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it was terrifying. And, and you'd never done anything like that before. Well, I'd, well, you said you were the naked I'd, person. I was always a naked person. <laughs> I'd done another piece involving my body the year before, uh-huh. but I don't know. I mean, I took all these risks, yeah, with 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 my body and figuring out like what it, the power, I guess, of mm-hmm. the the body's presence. Right, right. Um, but then in grad school, one of my favorite uh, moments was a critique with um, John Kessler. And I had a few different, really different pieces in the studio that were in di- going in different directions. And he pointed at this one that I'd been working on for months. And he said, I think this is really boring. Mm-hmm. And I was, it was so, so great to have the permission to like stop working on it. Yeah. Because it did, it wasn't that right. Great, you know? Right. That's great. And to have the awareness to like take that in and be like, yeah, actually you're right. And I'm going to stop. And that's what I needed to hear. Yeah. That's great. Um, one of the things that, um, um, we talk about in, in our household is this like imaginary dinner party mm. where we fill our table with, we curate the people sitting around the table. And then sometimes it's 10 people. Sometimes it's five. It's a little game we play. Um, and the idea is like, these are the people that we admire, that we find inspiring, that we think would have a great conversation with. Um, and I guess on that level, is there anyone that you could think of that you'd love to like have a, have a meal with? And it could be an artist or not an artist, alive or not alive. Has anyone jumped to mind? Like yeah. Something, someone that you I mean, to go cool? back to the Georgia O'Keefe again, it's, yeah? it's her. I yeah? mean, I spent... I went to her in New Mexico. I went to to her house. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'm just really fascinated with, with female artists, um, how they decide to live their lives and be artists at the same time. And the decisions that she made regarding like her persona, her, the direction of her career, um, her leaving New York, Mm -hmm. like, all of those and she was one of the only female artists who was really commercially embraced yeah. at the time yeah 
So it would she's just, part of the canon. Yeah. Yeah. I just would love to pick her brain on how she f- came to those decisions and if they were if they were strategies mm-hmm. or if she was just really following like what she needed to do for her work. Right, her like inner instincts. Yeah. Yeah, and she loved to cook apparently. She had this like amazing garden there hmm. that they they maintain. Right. You can go see it. I like this is a little bit superficial, but the photographs of her and her face and her sense of style, even like the hats that she wears. Yeah. I, I'm always really excited about too. I do a drawing assignment with um, some of my students when I'm when I'm constructing a drawing class, and I hand out like a like a, a an image of of a black and white photocopy of George O'Keefe, and I have bumped up the contrast so we can really see the beautiful lines in her face and Mm -hmm. she's always like she's got this hat and she's got this very like strong intense look and um you know these are usually um sophomores or freshmen we turn it upside down they draw but i use that image i use that image as sort of a jumping point and and i think it's um she's just the image of hers has a sense of power oh yeah well and do you know that she decided to take her image in that direction because when she was in New York and mm-hmm. she's, you know, Stieglitz is alive, she, because of his photography, she became really characterized as a sexual, like beautiful, um, you know, maybe even, you know, that her artwork is like vaginal, all of this. Like she becomes very, her like womanness is very heightened mm-hmm. and, or her femininity. Right. And then, she decided to move to Mexico and she was like, I want to change all of that. I'm not, you know, I'm going to take control of my image. And that's when she started wearing those kind of, you know, desert like, um, hats and like the long, um, skirts and Mm -hmm. this very different look. And she, she hired a photographer to come and, and shoot her out in the landscape to record it. Yeah. Yeah. And so those were the images that were, released yeah it sounds like she's spinning a new narrative that's like in reaction to some of the bullshit she was dealing with back in new york yeah yeah maybe it is part of a strategy then i think it could be yeah yeah strategies are okay to a point i know (laughs) you don't want to over strategize yeah yeah it gets slippery quickly if you're too nutty about it Mm -hmm. um what about showing this stuff can you tell when's the first time you put this out in a public space for people to see. Can you uh, describe that experience? Yeah. Um, Nicole Klagsbrun, uh came by my studio with Yona Backer, and uh, who is also a, a curator or a, a gallery director. And um, and they, they liked my work. They wanted to include it in the three-person show coming up. And they asked me to make a piece in the gallery. Were you out of school at this point? Yeah. Okay. And they wanted to show one like fired wall piece and they wanted me to make something on site because the show was um, about the performative. And I was just caught so off guard that like a gallerist would want me to make something on site that wasn't, you know, commercial, like it wasn't saleable. Right, right, right. And for me to like take that to 
to have to kind of face the riskiness of doing that and like what if the piece sucks and um I did have to deal with a lot of challenges like it cracked and it started falling apart and Mm -hmm. I was like how do I deal with that is that like part of the work Mm um so and it, it was the first time I had shown wow. um, in a gallery. So it was it was really scary. And I imagine not only, I mean, part of the fear was probably the pressure of, because you had to make it site specific, you had one shot, right? Yeah. So. And I did it maybe only a couple of days before the yeah. opening. You're almost forced to ha- like have to include the cracks and things that happen, right? That has to be part of it. You don't have a choice. Yeah, but you also don't want to look unprofessional right 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 in front of a dealer i think that there's you have to always kind of present the work as being like no problem yeah 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 oh it doesn't break it's like it's funny how we um you know the perception of the artist yes we know what we're doing oh yeah and oftentimes i mean i'll speak for myself i'm winging it a lot of the time oh yeah but you have to come across as having (laughs) the confidence that it'll be fine yeah yeah that's great yeah so that was that's a great first i mean while it's scary but to show with her in that space yeah that's a pretty great first first time out I'm wondering um, what you're, I mean, since we're talking about showing this stuff and, and, and you've had multiple um, uh, opportunities and, and times where you've, you've put this out in the marketplace, how does it feel to have this stuff out in, in that setting and have a price tag on it? And um, does that feel good? I mean, I guess I ask because uh, I'm, uh, for me, and, and it's something I bring up with other artists, is like there's how I feel about the work when I'm in the studio, and then there's how I feel about it when it's in a f- clean gallery setting yeah. and it's for sale. Is 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 it all one for you, or is there a separation there for no, you? No, I think there's a separation yeah. too for me. I think when it leaves the studio and you see it up in a gallery or a booth, or it mm-hmm. it's almost like it's done like Mm -hmm. it's got this stamp of you know this is finished um this is for sale and um i am not excited about it anymore Mm -hmm. i'm about that piece anymore oh right 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 um because because it's over or something like i'm way more excited about the work that's happening in the studio it's like having an exhibition about of work that you're like you've already kind of moved forward yeah from, yeah it's i can identify with that for yeah sure. it's yeah it's just kind of like oh this is done i'm already it's, thinking it's like about it's almost like thing. it once it's in the gallery or, or at the art fair it's not active anymore right it's inactive the stuff in here is more alive because oh, it's yeah. still so maybe that's it that's it yeah. yeah and i guess the hope is that the viewers would make it active or, mm-hmm. or would see it as active mm-hmm. um yeah, and then as far as like in our brains, it's not active. Like no. it's it's active for viewers and as they experience it. But for the I maker, so. for us, the people that are making it, yeah, it feels a bit different. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and do you ever say no to opportunities that come along? Like it's like I think having scruples is important at a certain point. Um, you know, uh, the cu- whatever, like your work just doesn't fit the context of the project or something i'm just wondering what the circumstances are when you say no yeah well i think as you know there's a lot of ceramics or there's a lot of artists using clay right now Mm -hmm. and 
a lot of people doing ceramic-specific exhibitions. And I guess I'm less inclined to participate in an exhibition that is where the only commonality across the works is the medium. Mm-hmm. So I, th- that's really the only thing that I... Right, so if a, if a gallery or a curator is like, I'm doing this all clay show, yeah. you're like, nope. <laughs> it's fair enough. And I think that's a good instinct. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're in in a setting where your work is very, like material, ma- the materials are very similar to everything else, or even the form of it or the aesthetic of it is very similar, then it just becomes very even and yeah. forgettable. And I, I think having variation with the stuff that you're around or in is helps everyone's work at the end. I think so too. Yeah. If you could change anything about this, since we're sort of talking about the art world yeah, and we're, let's maybe put on our idealism hats. If you could change, have a magic wand and change something about the art world, assuming there's something you want to change about it. Right. Is uh, something come to mind? Something I've been grappling with this fall is is this like insistence that artists who want to be you know quote-unquote successful or like part of the contemporary art scene have to live in New York or LA or maybe I guess London right these global cities global hubs yeah Mm -hmm. and I'm so frustrated by that because I would much rather live in a place I thought was beautiful Mm -hmm. um and a place that was actually affordable and conducive to being an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's really my problem with it right, right. now. Right. Um, like you, you tell someone you're thinking about moving, and they're just like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, that's a that's a career killer, or <laughs> or you'll fade away. Or I mean, it's the, there's this narrative out there that is is hard not to ignore. Yeah. Um, and I share that feeling. Like there's times where I'm just like, "This isn't." this doesn't work anymore and I, and I want to be somewhere else but the reality of earning a living through this stuff or attempting to learn a living through this stuff or find work that um, is applicable to my skill set it doesn't exist in you know um, some of these beautiful places that I prefer to live in I know and, and then that's, that's even compounded now like this is we're getting I'm getting a little bit like this is a reach but like the 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 cultural climate that we're in right now um I, f- I think right now it's really important for me to be around a lot of different types of people. Yeah. As I, I don't, I'm not interested in a monoculture right now. And I think some of the more beautiful place, and this is narrow minded of me, but some of the more beautiful places that I want to live in, I think are more, are more mono. Yeah. And I, that's, uh, I don't think good for me right now. That's interesting. Cause I would think of the city as being a monoculture mm-hmm. and like the place that I would like to live would be, you know, maybe, I visited a friend in Carrizoso, New Mexico this summer, and she is acquainted with like all different kinds of people because, um, you know, there are people, there are just people on all, like on each end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and it's true. Once, if you, once you leave a place like New York and you're an artist and you go to a place like New Mexico, you'll find your people, right? Yeah. It might be a little bit more work, but you'll find your crew. You'll find your people and uh-huh. you'll have to deal with, um, you know, the pe- folks in town who mm-hmm. like want to approve of the Patagonia moving in and, right. you know, or like, <laughs> and you're like on the council and yeah. you're like fighting against people yeah. that, 
you know. Yeah, for sure. Would you say that you're in New York, like myself and any number of artists or any of these other big art cities to try and build this infrastructure around your work so that you can get to a place where you don't necessarily have to be here? Oh my God, isn't that everyone's wish? I think some people, yes. I think some people don't ever want to leave here though too. You think? Even if they have that infrastructure. I think if you have that infrastructure, you can always visit. Right. And then you would get your fill of right. New York. Right. Um, piecemeal but if you could wait if you could wave this proverbial wand we're talking about you would leave the city yeah and still have uh the avenues that that you would need in order to to do this as um a livelihood right right exactly that would right. be it and i would visit the city to see friends i mean that's the hard the hardest part would be leaving your friends behind mm -hmm. social stuff yeah um, I mean, isn't, yeah, I think the ideal world is, is having two homes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Living in part-time two places. Yeah. I mean, that's on the list of dreams, right? I, I love, I love this idea of being in the city during the academic year and then right. the summer just like testing, like, let's go to Morocco for the summer. Right. Let's go to, um, um, Nicaragua for the summer, you know, just bounce around, um, then reality hits and that's like, a little that's bit more difficult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, what about the artist as problem solver? This is a reoccurring theme on, in these, these recordings I do. When you, when you are in a creative rut or you're fighting with this stuff, do you have any tricks that you do to uh, get out of those ruts or, or um, well, things fix that have, things? Yeah, things mm -hmm. that have been working because I have been in a rut for or recently like getting out of a year long rut. Um, and that it was one to purge, mm -hmm. um, to take down everything, like stop staring at old work. Yeah. Um, and start fresh. And then the third thing that's working is I've been researching topics or subjects that are unrelated to art. At, like things that interest me, like environmentalism mm -hmm. or um, ecofeminism or, mm -hmm. you know, the history of the settling of the West. Like these are the things that fascinate me. Sure. And so I've just been reading that stuff. And it's such a relief to like get a break from thinking about art and it inspires new ideas. Yeah. We're multidimensional people. Yeah. I mean, we're, I can't think uh, about art all the time. No, it's I don't boring. Think I. I start to feel gross actually from like art all the time. Yeah. Um, Is your wife an artist? She, she's actually a quite talented painter, but, um, she's involved in arts education. Oh, okay. So, um, so indirectly, if, yes. Right. So you yeah. like can communicate about art, but you're not obsessing about the art world at right, home. Right. And, and she's, while I'm in this sort of like contemporary, we are in this contemporary art part of the art world. Um, she's more in like community arts stuff. So yeah. it's a nice balance. In a oh, way. Yeah. She keeps me in check and she's helps me pull my head out of my ass. Yeah. So Cause you're great. like, what is our role really? Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nice. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you sort of described sort of changing your clothes, like taking everything down and starting mm. fresh. I think that's good. I, I, now that I think about it, I, I tend to do that maybe 
quarterly. Every season I do that oh, in my good. studio. Yeah. It's a good, I'm glad that you pointed that out. <laughs> yeah. Cause of, yeah. Cause if you just keep staring at the mm-hmm. same thing, that's maybe not working. Mm-hmm. It, you're not going to get anywhere. Do you, just, do you give up on your pieces ever when you're working on them? Like, uh, I mean, I guess the, you had that crit where the guy was like, this is boring. And that yeah. like, gave you license to let go of it. Do you have that in yourself now to be like, this isn't working? Um, yeah. Um, and I'm stopping rather than invest another two, three months or whatever in something that's not working. Have you reached a point where you can do that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I see it right away, but mm-hmm. it, I have gotten there. Like I mentioned, the stuff I made over the summer, I just threw it out. Yeah. Just, it wasn't going anywhere. Right. And you're okay. That doesn't feel weird. And I could do weird. it in a different way. I thought I could address the same ideas with a different form. Mm -hmm. And so I just moved on. Right. I think that's important. Like understanding when it's getting to a place where you understand that there's not, not an exit or there's not a way forward and just to stop. Yeah. It's hard. I'm still working on it. (laughs) Um, you started to talk about day jobs and gigs and you're, you're an art assistant. What other sorts of jobs have you had? Um, to support yourself as an artist that, or has it just been art art that is jobs? primarily what i've been doing for yeah over a decade um are you is it full-time part-time i guess i'm curious like what you're you're sort of getting back into the studio like right. what your schedule's like are you here two three days a week or in the evenings after work um i co- i work part-time mm-hmm. and i come after work sometimes but i'm here usually three days three to four days uh, but I love those days when you can just stay home and do computer stuff. Yeah, those admin days. Yeah, the admin yeah. days. <laughs> <laughs> would, is it a goal of yours to get in here full time, would you say? I've been able to go in and out of that. And I actually really like the structure of the job. And, you know, it. I manage my time much better when I have other commitments. Yeah. Um, but I found that, like, one of the perks of being able to work in the studio full time was I, I got to have more. Oh, Gaia. No, no, no. You don't usually do that. What don't chew doing? on the extension cord. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Yeah, I know. It's fine. Um, oh, is that I, I had more time to reach out to other artists and do studio visits with friends and yeah. artists I'd never met. And that was, it was really essential, I think, to be, I just love getting to know the person. Mm-hmm. So getting to meet the person whose work I'd been seeing around a lot or like yeah. really admired. Yeah. Yeah. I also think sometimes that having a, uh, a day job or a side gig is just healthy for, for an artist to take that pressure off of, Oh my God, I gotta sell this stuff to make my rent and whatever, whatever. If you, yeah. if you can take those concerns away or at least, shelve them i think that's ultimately a healthy thing so oh yeah i'm that's a proponent I'm of having other on. i'm a proponent of having other things going on and maybe yeah. that goes back to us talking about being multi-dimensional people right and yeah. self-sufficient too yeah. it's like you can't the market changes you can't get prom, you know you can, yeah. you're not guaranteed that things yeah. will keep selling yeah i'm looking i'm applying to teaching jobs this for next okay. year have you ever taught before I taught one class and I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're you're lucky that you've 
gotten into the adjuncting. Yeah, network. it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's it's essentially freelance work, so there's no. Um, um, it's hard to plan around. It's like inconsistent. Right. Um, let's get back to the work real quick. Uh, one of the one of the pieces um, that I was sort of taking in was called, and I want to read the title because I think the title um, was informative as well. It was a figurative sculpture. It it, it was it was freestanding. It was one of your pieces that did not rely on the wall, mm. and it was called um, "How to Be Self-Supportive." And then in parentheses. This is the title, how to, right. how to be self-supportive, in parentheses, build a vertical structure using double your body weight in clay, then dig out your body weight from the middle to create an arc. Pile the excavated clay on top of the arch, 260 pounds, um, and then the date 2016. So Probably makes, makes no sense well, to but anyone I, but, else. <laughs> but I, um, I talked to another artist recently that like sort of spelt like in a press release, he like wrote out instructions for each of the paintings. That was his oh, little, really? that was his little way of like doing a curveball for the press release. And, and I, I sort of responded in a similar way. Like I, I appreciated that you spelled out how you made that thing or the instructions for it. Is that a common thing that you do? Yeah. yeah? I mean, I think spreading outward from center is also kind of like, that's how I made it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's, it's almost like a poem below that's yeah. the instructions. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I, I like um, putting the viewer in the place of like having the, like the, I guess um, indicating that this is a piece that anyone can make. Like if, if you want to be self-sufficient, try this out. Yeah. Um, these are instructions. And I've tried that with people giving them my instructions and making a piece. And it's, you know, they're always they have really different experiences um, from uh, from mine uh, making the piece. Um, there are things about it that they love that I like never thought about before. Everyone loves to like sink their fingers into the clay. Right, that's what we're talking about. That like very tactile. Yeah, they're enthusiastic. It's like a caveman instinct to squeeze that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so it's um, I like I don't know I like opening it up mm -hmm. to other people. Yeah. It, I feel like there's times where I, I like the mystery of art and I don't want to know how it's made or anything. Like I, when I go to museums, I tend not to read labels yeah, because um, I just want to, unless there's like some historical thing I need to know about, but it's sort of just like having my own thing with mm -hmm. it. There's other times where I really appreciate things being more or less spelled out for me and, um, and it makes it makes the work uh, more approachable yeah. and um, attainable. And I like this idea that you just said, like giving the instructions to, to someone else and see it's not it's not terribly hard. You could do it too. That's that's uh, very generous, and I sort of I appreciate that. And in mm. um, your titles, and then all, you know, it, it seems like it's part of your practice too to sort of um, give that or share that sort of information. Yeah, I think... Am I misreading it? No, not okay, at all. Okay. Like, I think... I guess I drive for transparency mm -hmm. or, like... I yeah, the wanna, art world's often not transparent. Yeah. So maybe that's I don't want to create... Like, there's no reason to create an illusion around mm -hmm. something. Yeah, it's nice. Thanks. Do you have any um, um, future projects that you're excited about or or... 
Yeah, um, I do. Like, yeah? Yeah, Let's with Romer Young. Oh, actually. right, right, right. Um, You're doing a show. We're doing a two-person show with Rosie Kaiser. Oh, that's right. And I've heard I, about this. I love her. Yeah, her paintings are... We can call them paintings. They're they're like assemblages. They're yeah, great. assemblages or combines. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's so wonderful. We swap studio visits to prepare for the uh-huh. show, and I felt like I finally met someone who talks about their work in a similar way. Like it, she has this kind of, not that I'm not poetic at all, but she has this language um, that's not based in like art the kind of art discourse right 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 that we you know are exposed to right um so she she approaches it more like pro like from a prose um position and almost humanizes Mm -hmm. the pieces and makes her kind of experience with them like part of the the reading or the telling um and so that was so wonderful. Um, just to know that, like, you don't have to talk in a certain kind of academic yeah, yeah, for sure. language to get your, your ideas across. Yeah. And it's often way more efficient. Yeah. And honest feeling when it's not in this misty art speak language. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I appreciate that, too. So that's a project that's coming up. What about, a, like, a... A goal. I mean, goals are kind of, um, they're traps sometimes, right? Mm. Especially when we say them out loud, then we, someone's going to hold us up against that. But is there something that you like hope to accomplish in the next uh, handful of years? Hmm. Hope. Well, I guess I have like trips that I want to Yeah, travel, take. sure. So um, I want to go to the Trinity site, which is where the first nuclear bomb was tested. Um, in New Mexico, <laughs> and New you Mexico. can only visit twice a year. Like they only have an open house twice a year. Hmm. And then, um, well, I'm just really interested in visiting places where the land has been um, obviously scarred by human intervention. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that that is like a huge inspiration and influence in my work. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this traveling. Um, is really important to to my process so that's my goal is to get out there but it's in april and november and kind of hard to plan for that for some reason right right it's not in the summer but that's my goal and then my i don't know artistically um i feel like i need to break through some barrier that's happening and i hope to get there i don't know what it looks like yeah but I guess that's kind of always the goal. Yeah. Are you ever really no, we're always thrilled reaching. with what you're doing? We're always reaching. Otherwise, why would we be doing this? Right. I think so. I understand for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I, I feel like this is a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks Thank for you. sharing you know, your experience and telling us about the work. And um, Yeah, it's great. Thank thanks. you so much, Joe. This is fun. Thanks. And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.